Hi, I'm Jake. And I'm Sam. And welcome to the Just a Story podcast. Vintage Coolness Edition. So these are some of our older episodes that we want to keep up because they have some great information. But we realize that the audio quality is a little... Mm, is crap. Yeah, it's kind of crap. But we hope that they have all the charm of a vintage vinyl album with scratches and character. And we really just don't want to re-record them. <laughs> So, production note, we're leaving these up, but if you're a new listener, the audio quality greatly improves with the episode hooking up and going forward. And I'd also say we uh, know what we're doing a little more. Yeah, but these have a special place in our hearts. We wanted you to have access to them, and we hope that you will pardon the character. That's right. It's character. (laughs) So, thanks for listening, guys, and enjoy. Without further ado, here are our vintage, wonderful episodes. So, when I was in high school, I was about to go out and do a babysitting job for this family in my neighborhood, and I was telling one of my friends about it in the last period, and she said that a girl that she knew at summer camp, I think, her older sister, I think that's right, anyway, someone she knew, somewhere in California, like something beach, California. So it must have been summer camp. I don't know how she would know her. Anyway, she was going to babysit for this family, and they were rich. I mean, like, stupid rich. More money than God. And she was told to just stay in one room of the house. Now, my friend thought it was because they wanted her to be close to the kids. I think it was probably because they were worried about her walking away with her stuff. But anyway, they asked her to stay in this one den area, they called it, where there was a TV and it was comfortable and whatever. And so she puts the kids to bed, and she's sitting on the couch watching TV, and she notices in the corner of the room there's this clown statue. And she keeps staring at it, and it's really starting to freak her out because it's really creepy. And so she throws a blanket over it, and she looks back, and the blanket's gone, and it freaks her out even more. And so she calls the parents and asks them, if she can go in a different room. They're paying her really well. She doesn't want to piss them off. So she gets the dad. She says, hey, the clown statue in the den is really freaking me out. Can I change rooms? And the dad gets really stern all of a sudden. He's like, get the kids. Get out of the house. Go to the neighbors and call the police immediately. It freaks her out. But she does what she's told, gets the kids, runs across the street to the neighbor's house. When she gets there, she calls the dad back to let him know they're in safely. And she's like, what's the deal, dude? And he's like, we don't have a clown statue. It turns out it was a real guy. And he was just standing there in the corner of the room, perfectly still, watching her. And they found out later that he was a lunatic or a homeless guy or something. I don't know. She didn't know either. I think she tells it both ways, honestly. But anyway, it doesn't matter. There's a clown in the corner of the room. A real one. Just standing there watching her while she was babysitting. Okay, so I heard. So we're on the bus from my dad to Dallas. Mm Mm-hmm. One time, when I was little, my dad ran it. When I was little, my dad came out of the restaurant. Here, it's just a story. Hello, and welcome to the It's Just a Story podcast. I'm Jake. And I'm Sam. And we're here to tell you a story. We want to take a minute to kind of go over again what we are and what we aren't. We're taking a look at the stories that we tell over and over again and discussing what our myths and misdeeds, fears and facts say about us as humans. Why do we keep returning to these things over and over uh, over the course of the next few minutes? So we're going to talk about a new story this week that I find quite creepy. It's definitely one of the newer urban legends. It first appeared in spring of 2004. Uh, as one of the chain emails that you would get from your second aunt that would send to you with a creepy story. And if you didn't send it forward to all ten of your friends, 
you would receive. All ten of your friends. She had ten friends. Maybe you'd had more, but she had ten for sure. Right, right, of course. And those ten friends were her. Those biologically bound to her. Those that must reply and read the email. You know, if you didn't do that, you would die or get bad luck or an evil killer clown would be standing at your bed at two in the morning. Well, we're talking, of course, about the urban legend known as the clown statue. Or, if you prefer, the killer clown. Alright, so we have this chain mail which kind of gives us a date, but we're really not sure exactly where it started. Being there's more text in oral history, it does kind of keep the same form most of the time, but it does have a few variations. That's true. So, in one version, the clown that's in the corner watching the girl is a sex offender. Very specifically stated, which gives us an idea of the kind of people we're afraid of in this day and age. In other stories, he's just some poor homeless man who's wandered in off the street and means no one any harm. Sometimes he's even in a catatonic state as a result of mental illness. Poor homeless man named Clownmaker. Yeah, I mean, there means no one any harm. He just wants to make the world smile. And in some versions, he's caught by the police, you know, whenever the girl notices. And in others, he's a dastardly killer who murders children. Very scary. The origin part of this is kind of hard to really nail down. There's that kind of fear of clowns and evil clown stories that have gone really throughout the last few centuries. But what may be tagged to this is uh, in 1981 in Massachusetts, there was actually released by the police department warning people that there were men in clown costumes driving around in white unmarked vans trying to lure children into them with balloons and candy and but this never actually happened right it's not documented if it did happen but it's been reported in several states a handful since then and the most recent formal report made with any i think police department was in cook county in chicago in 2008 i find the timeline of this really fascinating because uh, this was right after a certain clown received his sentence. And we'll talk about that later in the show. Yes, this is the famous clown that you may have heard of. We've got a great extra story to tell you a little later. Now, one thing I find interesting is no matter who, how the story is being told, the only specific location that's ever given is Newport Beach, California. It seems oddly specific. Maybe it, it lends an air of credibility to the story. Well, just like having a name or being someone's cousin's friend that you actually know, kind of, lends credibility. It's an actual place or there are people's names in it. And that may be it. I really do think that it could be related to not being an oral history and more of a written history. Of right. It. I agree, because you're not rewriting the story as you forward it frantically to ten friends. By the way, the threat attached to the chain letter was, if you don't forward this to ten people in the next five minutes, you'll wake up and find the clown standing over you with a knife at 3 a.m. So that is a hell of a threat, one. And it makes this guy, this clown, this vagrant-slash-madman-slash-homicidal guy next door into some sort of supernatural boogeyman that can transport through space and time that's sort of omniscient and knows who's forwarded and who hasn't and gives him kind of an incredible power. So clowns, I mean clowns are just pervasive in our society. They've been around for as long as really modern day culture has been around. Yes, there are countless examples. Countless. I mean, they're always pranksters and jesters and jokers and harlequins and tricksters and things throughout time. You know, they're the pygmy clowns and Egyptian pharaohs, which is 2500 BC, ancient imperial China and court clowns. Uh, even the Hopi Native Americans had traditions of clown like costumed people interrupting very serious dance rituals by doing you know, ludicrous antics. In ancient Rome's clowns were a stock fool. Um, they were actually called the stupidest. Uh, of course, court jesters is one thing we think of as an ancient, if you can say that, clown. 
uh, back in feudal times, and it's where you kind of laugh at the king and laugh at the royal class. And then into the 18th and 19th century is when it starts to become more along the lines of what we think of as a clown today. So back in the early 1800s, Joseph Grimaldi was what we could kind of consider-ish, depending on who you ask, the first modern clown. He was the first guy that went from instead of just like wearing a little rouge and wearing kind of just normal stage clothes, wearing brightly colored clothes, you know, painting his face. He's kind of a tragic figure. He was just like, had a really bad life and had lots of medical problems. And you can even call him a Dickens-like character because he actually was... Several of Dickens' characters were modeled after him because he was that famous in London. And Dickens even edited his memoirs after his death. Well, I find that very interesting. Do you know that when I ordered clown white makeup for our son's Halloween costume to paint his face white so that he could be Jack Skellington in The Nightmare Before Christmas. I started getting ads in my sidebar for clown paraphernalia. So I'm now flagged as a serial killer, Googling, organ trafficking, searching clown. You were going to be on so many lists. I know. (laughs) And so this kind of school of clowning is sometimes called the Piro School. And okay, is he the only example of a clown that we need to know about in history? Like, when does when does the clown go from tragic to scary? This is another one. This is great. And this is almost the exact same time period. It was in France. Jean Gaspard uh, Dubreau. And Dubreau was also an extremely famous clown in Paris. Uh, he was more of a street performer. He was even tried for killing a boy with a blow of his walking stick. After the kid shouted at him on the street and was making fun of him, he was ultimately acquitted of this murder, but it is our first recorded case of a killer clown. Clowns gone wrong. Exactly. And when I was doing all this research, I found this great quote. And as this French literary critic discussing the changes in clowns and how they'd become so popular at this time, his name is Edmond de Goncourt. Goncourt? Goncourt. And he says, The clown art is now rather terrifying and full of anxiety and apprehension. Their suicidal feats, their monstrous gesticulations and frenzied mimicry reminded one of the courtyard of a lunatic asylum. I think Goncourt's words still ring true today. I think a lot of people can probably relate to what he is saying. Well, I mean, it's not that much of a stretch to think that they look like lunatics, because... Look at the way that the word has kind of evolved over time. Think of the jester, also called the fool, right? Well, the fools were granted God's mercy despite whatever they did. They were sort of blameless in, um, you know, medieval or, I guess, during the Dark Ages. These people could kind of get away with anything. And they were adults. They were grown-ups. And they acted like children and... The village idiot comes to mind. These people that are sort of on the fringes of our society, and we called them fools, and then we called the jester fools, and we ascribed that same sort of guiltless, blameless, like only the jester could mock the king, only the jester could question the king. You know, humor is a very powerful force, and when someone is granted the ability to make us laugh, we're giving them an ability to play, which means to suspend the rules in an anthropological definition of play is the suspension of rules in everyday life where people can move around freely and find enjoyment and that's kind of a terrifying idea that someone's granted that power uh, and humor always has its dark side humor does always have its dark side and all I can think about as we talk about this is the Joker uh, which has been around in Batman since the 40s you know it's Batman is serious and very controlled. The Joker is pure chaos, and he's a clown. He he laughs at everything, mocks everything, and he's absurd and ridiculous, and through that, he's constantly menacing with his madness, and I think that's something that, like, we've all grown up seeing different images of the Joker, whether you watch the 66 series, or whether you read the comics, or whether you watch Dark Knight. He's kind of terrifying. He's a great bad guy. And there's something about that deformed face and that smile as he's doing these horrible things that's just completely unsettling, and that's something a lot of people have been exposed to since childhood. 
No, I agree. And even now, new people are growing up with the Dark Knight. Mm-hmm. That's a hell of a thing to grow up with, by the way. When I think of the dark humor related to clowns and evil clowns, I, do, I can't help but think of Seinfeld. The opera. And the true opera, Pagliacci. It was an 1892 Italian opera where the cuckolded main character, which is in that kind of clown mold as our two previous clowns we spoke about, not a joker, uh, <laughs> where he murders his cheating wife on stage during a performance. There's another example, and of course in the show... You know, Crazy Joe DeVola. Yes, dressing as his as Pagliacci, <laughs> as the sad clown. You know, he will kibosh again. So as, as time goes on, clowns do change a little bit. The clown was brought over to America in full force you know, with the uh, popularity of the circus. You know, the circus mm-hmm. became very popular in the early 20th century. And he developed the hobo clown character, uh, which is something we're all familiar with. It's know. like Buster Keaton, that kind of... Exactly. Right. Like, that kind of unshaven, five o'clock shadow. He's kind of sad all the time. He's almost he's a tragic, humorous figure. Right. He's kind of a, a more caricatured version of the little tramp, almost, that Charlie Chaplin character that we're also familiar with, that sad but puckish right, and figure. Then it, and then it came around during the time of the Great Depression. Right, so hobos in the Great Depression. I can't imagine why anyone would have any apprehension about that. Lots of people homeless. Right, and coming up to farms and asking for jobs. And you hear stories of a drifter that wandered into town and murdered a family. Uh, and then you have these clowns portraying themselves in that same vein. Can't be helping their image. They really needed a good PR person because I feel like they just have made poor choices. Right, hobos need a good PR person. No, hobo clowns, silly. Uh, Don't be ridiculous. Hobos can't afford a PR person. It would be pro bono. And then as time goes on, you know, there is that Bozo the Clown. It's really extremely popular character in the mid-20th century. Oh, and Ronald McDonald. And then Ronald McDonald, you can say, is a positive character. Yeah, yeah it's just because you had to walk by that fig- uh, big statue at the hospital every day with him, like, reaching out to sick kids. That is kind of creepy. That's why you don't like Ronald McDonald. Well, it is extremely creepy. And then it developed through, um, through the century uh, with Poltergeist. Do you remember that? Pardon Poltergeist. But I've never seen Poltergeist. <gasps> I, know. I know. So, everyone first, just pause. Go watch Poltergeist. Okay, are you done? How was it? Are you creeped out? Okay. So there's the part, you remember? Because you just watched it. Where there's the evil clown doll. I don't want to watch Poltergeist. It's <laughs> calling to the child and moving, and it's extremely creepy. And then everyone also... Always talks about it, which is the clown played by Tim Curry. I have seen it, and the movie based on Stephen King's book, It, and the most recently uh, American Horror Story Freak Show. This is Chuckles the Clown, Twisty, Twisty the Clown, Twisty the Clown, and he was actually modeled on John Wayne Gacy. John Wayne Gacy. I remember watching It with my friend Annalise. Oh my God, we would watch scary movies and then freak out for the next 12 hours. It didn't give me like a lifelong abiding fear of clowns, but it definitely didn't make me like them. Again, they need a better PR person. Actually, I had a large clown collection as a kid. I don't think you know this. I'm glad I, I don't know that. Yeah, I did. And it wasn't anything I sought out. There was this, this woman my mom was friends with named Miss Bonnie Sue. And Miss Bonnie Sue would, every year on my birthday, call and sing happy birthday to me. And so I began to call her happy. And because I called her happy, she began to send me clown paraphernalia. And recently, when we watched the movie The Conjuring, which also has a creepy clown in it, I recognized the music box that they were using as the portal thing in that movie was actually one that Happy had given me for my fourth birthday. Oh, good. Oh, good. It's not in the house, is it? No, it's at my mom's, I think. Maybe in the attic or something, collecting dust and getting angry. I'm never going to a mom. <laughs> Ever. A child is going to come out holding it one day, and I'm going to beat myself. <laughs> So, so how are your feelings about clowns? If you go to the circus and you're taking the kids to the circus, you see the clowns, how does it make you feel? I am sort of repulsed and also confused because I don't know who 
likes them. You know, like, I, I feel like a lot of people maybe are ambivalent toward clowns. Like, you have no strong feeling one way or another. And I, feel, I know that some people are very afraid of clowns, but I don't feel like anyone is sitting around going, clowns are awesome, unless they are one. Which is another thing. Like, I'm like, who the hell wants to be a clown? Who's joining the circus to be a clown? I don't know. Sort of confused. Run sort of befuddled. Run off clown, clown college. Clown college. Is it, it's called clown college. Show some Sorry. respect. Good, good lord, man. I apologize. In the hey, I think States. you can qualify for federal loans to go to clown school. Interestingly enough, like I said, in my old hospital, they did have a giant Ronald McDonald clown at the entrance, which so many reasons... It was bronzed, too. There were actually more than one. Uh, the one I'm thinking of was bronzed, and so it was like even creepier. And like the kids were there, and he was like reaching out to the kids like he was going to get them. I mean, first of all, besides the pure health uh, implications of McDonald's sponsoring a children's hospital, I do find it interesting that there was a study done in England by the University of Sheffield, and they were planning on building a new children's hospital, and they wanted to decorate it appropriately, because in children's hospital, you wanted to be a nice, warm, welcoming place for kids that are sick, and they surveyed 250 children between the age of 4 and 16, and literally, and I'm using that in the correct way, none of them liked clowns. Most of the children disliked and even feared the images of clouds. I have to say that I support their decision to fear and or dislike those images. Why do you think our gut reaction at that age, kind of that unbiased, uncensored reaction is just like, ugh. Like, why, are there any basis? There's actually a lot of kind of thought on that. So there are some studies done. And these studies were done uh, looking at humanoid features, and the point was to look at how we respond to kind of robots, and how humanoid a robot would have to look for us to think it's okay, think it's friendly, trusted. Through this study, they looked at different images of humans, and they kind of morphed them into images of robots. The study came out showing that Once you got to that point where it looked humanoid, but it still was just a little off, like there was a little something wrong with it, it would cause like a responsive revulsion to the people in the study. This is something called the Uncanny Valley. Uh, And the valley is talking about the kind of dip in the graph of people's okayness with it or or liking of the image. So, because clowns look a little like us, or mostly like us, but still don't share features, don't look exactly right, our natural response is, correct? Mm-hmm. I mean, technically speaking, bleh. Very technical. Okay. That is that is probably something almost evolutionary, wouldn't you say? Like, something that we've developed over time to kind of give us almost a... A fear of deformity, kind of seeking out the best example of the species for purposes of reproduction, maybe? I mean, that's just, I'm guessing. I'm so not a science. No, and that is the thought, that you're going into anything, you're looking at the people, you know, you want to say, you know, is this a good mate? Is this a good person? Is this a friendly person? And you're looking for likable traits in somebody. Who can I share my mammoth with? Exactly. Who do I want to meet with? And so it could be deformity, so a genetic problem. Could be a, a disease. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're someone with leprosy or something along those lines, with those that deformity, then that would cause that they look human, but there's something wrong with them. You just have that revulsion to it. Right, so that you don't share your mammoth or mate with them and get the disease or get the genetic component. So there's, you know... This has even been talked about with a lot of the uh, animated movies. You know, the right. early times, like when they did Toy Story, things like that. Like, they didn't show the kids because they realized that the people did not look human enough. Right. And they looked creepy. You, know, you do see Sid, but he's supposed to be creepy. Mm-hmm. And then, like, Robert Zemeckis' movies that were done uh, with motion capture, where they were trying to capture the expression on the actor's face, was another example of that, where they were really close. But not close enough. Not close enough. So examples of that are like Polar Express is one. Yeah. Where people just said, 
That's creepy. Blah. Yeah, blah. <laughs> but you know, you were talking earlier about you know that mask. You know what they're wearing. You know what they're doing. What are they hiding behind that paint? Mm-hmm. What they're doing is this kind of antisocial behavior. And then with the humor, there's always that dark side to humor. So what are they doing with that kind of mischief and that thin line between mischief and mayhem? Mayhem, exactly. Chaos. So you've got Rose of the Clown on one side, and you've got the Joker on the other side of the line. There's a there are actually a lot of studies of people's behavior when they're wearing masks, and how much more likely they are to do something that they would normally find morally reprehensible when they can't be identified. And there have been a lot of examples um, in riots where people are encouraged to wear masks, and the amount of violence that breaks out, the amount of fights, altercations with police, and um, violent vandalism goes up, I think, by like 12 to 12%. That sounds right, but it's a considerable amount. People are just a little less inhibited when you can't see their face. And then, you know, another thing we talk about, kids not in clowns anymore, you know, in the 60s, people like Bozo, things like that. And nowadays, you just have that fun context isn't there. It's related to that, you know, negative context. And even, like, Dr. Uh, Antony, who's the psychologist who wrote the Anti-Anxiety Workbook, which is a very good book, is an important work on anxiety and helps a lot of people with anxiety kind of commented on that, saying you don't really see clowns in those kind of safe, fun contexts anymore. You see them in movies, and they're scary, and you don't get that positive association. Right. I don't think kids are, you know, exposed to circuses fun anymore. Um, I think that there are enough alternate forms of entertainment where if they're not going to put a person, like a human, in, they're going to put in, you know, a, a dragon or puppy or a you know there there's so many anthropomorphic characters in animated shows you just don't see that as a image associated with childhood anymore the circus is i mean kids don't grow up i think knowing what that is as much as they did like they have a loose sense of it but it's not like oh my god the circus is coming to town the one day i get to not work the fields right exactly it's not the big event that used to be what is the fear of clowns called? Oh, we didn't even say that. So it's chlorophobia. Chlorophobia. And is that a real medical diagnosis? So I've seen, when you know, all my research, people keep saying it's not a real medical diagnosis. And that's not really true. It's just kind of semantic. Subcategory? No, it's a semantics problem. Okay. So the DSM-5 does have the diagnosis of phobias. Mm-hmm. And does not necessarily state what the different phobias are it has just phobia as a diagnosis and then you because you can have a phobia to literally anything you can have what is a phobia a phobia is like an extreme irrational aversion to something so you could think of all the common things flying spiders lizards yeah, yeah, that's yeah. not common. <laughs> and it's just the little ones. The big ones don't bother me. So, so, but you can be afraid of anything. You can be afraid of coat hangers. Or pickles. Remember oh, that? Or pickles. Remember that? There was a clip of a girl on Maury that had a pickle phobia, and they brought out a tray of pickles, and she like, ran out of the room screaming. Were the pickles her real father? <laughs> no, and they were not the father. So we've kind of talked about the fear of clowns, where it might be based in... Why we're just afraid of just the pure look of clowns. But we're talking about killer clowns here. Now, as clown statues that come to life or killer clowns that are posing as clown statues so they can rape and kill babysitters. Innocent babysitters, yes. Always innocent babysitters. And virgin babysitters. Virgin babysitters. They're the first to go. God help us all. Our children. But has this happened? Is this real? <laughs> Unfortunately, there's a lot of uh, dark, mischievous clown stories. Let's start, let's let's dip our toe in the pool first. In Wasco, California, as well as Northampton in England, there were people who were wearing kind of creepy clown ensembles and just kind of standing around. They'd like go stand in an alley or they'd go 
hang out by a statue in the square and or by a road sign and just stand there and look at people and scare the shit out of them. Right, this was all over Facebook and Twitter. Oh, yeah, and all social, the social media, media loved it. Uh, the Northampton Clown had his own hashtag and lots and lots and lots and lots of tweets about the Northampton Clown. I think it's interesting, touching on some of the things we talked about, they're using that fear of clowns just to cause fear. They're not doing anything but scaring people. No, it's not, I mean, it is malicious because they are trying to get a fear response from people, and that's really not nice. I don't think Emily Post would say that was okay, but they're not hurting anyone. You know, they're not causing any destruction or vandalizing anything or, you know, they're just standing around being creepy, and that's kind of what this one's doing in the story, so I thought that was a good tie-in. You know, like, he's just kind of standing there being creepy. I mean, in some versions, he is you know, killing kids. But if you go with a homeless vagrant that wandered in and meant the family no harm, that's kind of this thing, too. There's also, um, in France, a documented case in the last few years where there were 14 people arrested wearing clown masks who were terrorizing the city. And I read the article on a British website, and I, I found it just amusing. It was like, London itself has seen its share of clown-related crimes. In the metro area alone, there have been 117 reports of clown-related incidents. And I just thought that was such a lovely little phrasing. I I thought I'd share that. But yeah, the French clown gang, 14 members strong, um, they were more physically assaulting people, doing acts of vandalism. They would chase people down the street and laugh maniacally. It was a group of teenagers, I believe. So that was a, a thing. And that I think that definitely sort of ties into that the Joker model of chaos that we were talking about earlier. So please, please tell me about Klutzo, the Christian clown. Oh, Klutzo. Klutzo had, was a dear man. Everyone's favorite Christian clown. Everyone's favorite Christian clown. So Klutzo was... A former police officer. He was a magician, a former youth minister, I believe a deacon in his church. And Klutzo had such a good heart that he would travel to orphanages in the Philippines and other countries and perform for the children there. But lo, when Klutzo returned from the Philippines one fateful day, there were police officers waiting for him. Because it had been found out that Klutzo the Clown was molesting children in the Philippines. No, so it's not so. It was so. And other places. He had child pornography on his person at the time of the arrest. He had a lot of nude photos that he'd taken of children, some without their knowledge. Yeah, Klutzo the Christian Clown. He died in prison in Illinois, I believe, last year. So, R.I.P. So, So we have a lot of disturbing clown stories. Where are the killer clowns? Ah, the killer clowns. Well, my personal favorite of the killer clowns that we're going to share today is an assassination of a Mexican drug lord. Really? Yes. He was a kingpin in a gang in Mexico, and he had been made a target by some of his underlings. His time was up. He had to be taken down. And if you are... A Mexican crime family and you're looking to oust the leader and raise little suspicion I think this is kind of brilliant they hired an assassin and had him pose as a clown at a children's birthday party at which point he walked up to the Mexican drug lord and shot him that is a hell of a hat trick I feel like this deserves like a godfather reference he sleeps with the fishes like you come on the day of my child's birthday (laughs) I need cotton balls for my mouth. You need cotton balls for your mouth, Don Vito. On this, the day of my child's birthday party celebration. You come as a clown. One day I will need a favor from you. And that day may not be today. And it may never come. On this day, my favor is to put on this clown costume. With a wig and everything, boss? Yes. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> and then... To me, one of the more disturbing instances of killer clowns gone wrong, now that we've put you through that. Killer clowns gone wrong? Killer clowns... Can killer clowns go right? Um, if you're killing a Mexican drug lord, I kind of feel like, yeah, that's some badass clownery. Sort of the the killer clown gone right. So, 
Killer clowns gone wrong. If the Mexican drug lord's assassination was a killer clown gone right, this is a killer clown gone wrong. In May of 1990, there was a woman named Marlene Warren who lived in West Palm Beach. Marlene heard a knock on the door, and she opened the door. And on her doorstep, there was a clown offering her flowers. And as she reached out... Was it, was it a hugogram? She didn't get time to find out what it was. What was that? Because he pulled out a gun and shot her. Uh, not a hugogram. Not a hugogram. They still don't know who did it. To this day, the identity of the clown on the doorstep remains a mystery because he couldn't be identified because of the clown makeup. So Sam, I know you are obsessed with serial killers. Don't say obsessed. You really like serial killers. I really don't like that. It's not like. It's a, a fascination. You're really fascinated with serial killers. Thank you. And watch all the documentaries. So please tell us about the most famous of the killer clowns. Well, it starts with a man named John Wayne. Not that John Wayne. His real name was Marion. Did you know that? The real John Wayne. The real John Wayne, yes. His real name was Marion. Interestingly enough, this John Wayne's mother was named Marion. So there's a fun fact. But um, this is John Wayne Gacy. He grew up in Illinois. I'd never really researched Gacy that much, and I find him so disturbing in so many ways. He was raised in a family with a mother and a father. His dad had a drinking problem, supposedly was abusive. Nobody thought anything of him um, or felt that he was any kind of threat. He and his father, though, as he got older, started to have more violent altercations. And after one, he ran away to Las Vegas and started working with an EMS service there. After that... He didn't steal any kidneys, did he? Not that I know of. I, I cannot comment on that with any degree of certitude. After his time with the EMS, within like a week of his employment there, he was transferred to work in a mortuary as an embalming assistant. And he would sleep in a little cot behind the embalming room. And he had an experience there where there was a young teenage boy that was brought in. And he says he almost doesn't know what happened. But he woke up in the coffin with the boy in an embrace. The event spooked him, and he called his parents and asked if he could come home, and they said yes, and he moved back in with them. And he's met a woman, and he married her, and they moved to Iowa, and then they moved to Iowa, where his father-in-law owned a Kentucky Fried Chicken empire, and he was managing three restaurants there, and they had two kids, and his, he says that this point in his life was just perfect. He was involved with the JCs there, and there was some wife-swapping and drug stuff going on within the organization, apparently. So what, like, are, what are JCs? JCs are a charitable organization, a men's group. And he was very highly regarded within the group and eventually became the president of the area. But there was a lot of seedy activity going on sort of behind the scenes with them. So he got involved in that and he also opened a club in his basement where he would serve alcohol and let people come play pool and stuff. And he invited his employees, who were a lot of young kids working part-time jobs at the fast food restaurants, to come back to his place and drink alcohol and play pool and he would often offer drugs or pornography and make advances. It's documented that during this period he would tell young men that he was doing scientific research on homosexuality and offer them $50 to participate in his research. Interesting. So yes. he was a man of science. He was a man of science. During this period, he met a kid who was 14 or 15 years old and assaulted him sexually. The, there were charges brought. It was 1968. They did a psychiatric evaluation because he passed polygraph test over and over again when questioned about the interaction with the boy, and he passed all of them, which I know polygraph tests are notoriously inaccurate. Right, like, if you ever watch Bullshit, my pen and teller, yeah. so just by clenching your anus, you can fake a polygraph test. Well, Mr. Gacy must have clenched away because he passed several of them, and after that, they sent him in for psych eval, and he was diagnosed with antisocial personality disorder or sociopathy at that point and flagged in 1968 in Iowa 
as a potential risk to himself and others, the doctor that wrote the report actually said that he promised that Gacy would have further violent run-ins with the law. So it was some serious foreshadowing. Serious foreshadowing. Gacy was sentenced. He served a year in prison in Iowa. During his short stay in the penitentiary, he became the head cook in the kitchen. He organized a chapter of Gacy's for prisoners. By the time Gacy left, it had 500 he was very charismatic. He also got raised, wages raised for the prisoners. He was model citizen. Everything was great. And he was released on parole before his term was up. So as we know from research about psychopaths, they're always extremely charismatic people. They're able to do what they need to do to twist how people feel about them and use that feeling to get what they want. Absolutely. So he's released from prison. During his parole, he moves back to Illinois and starts living with his mother. During that time, another young man, I believe aged around 19 or so, brings sexual assault charges against Casey, which is a violation of his parole, and he should have gone back to jail at this point, but for some reason it is not flagged. So he was able to just get away with it. He got away with it, and then it never went to trial because the young man never showed up in court to testify against him. Interestingly enough, he paid a, an 18-year-old employee to beat up the 15-year-old who brought the charges originally, but that guy went to the police and told him what happened to try and intimidate him and make him not testify. So the fact that this guy doesn't show up is sort of shady in and of itself, but you have to wonder if Gacy had something to do with it. After this episode, he starts working with a different organization, but he joins the Moose Club. The Moose Club. The Moose Club. I think it may be the Moose Lodge, and that's a misnomer, um, because I've heard of that. I've never heard of the Moose Club, but maybe I just don't know. There was a group called the Jolly Jokers. What do you think the Jolly Jokers did, Jacob? I'm going to guess, since this is called the Killer Clown episode, uh, that they had something to do with clowns. They did, in fact. They dressed as clowns for fundraising activities and volunteer performances, especially at children's hospitals. Gacy designed his own costume and taught himself to apply his own clown makeup. Interestingly, the edges of his smile are very pointed. Most clowns have very rounded edges to indicate a smile and soften their faces. Gacy's came to a point. More like the Joker. So that mask you're talking about hiding his emotions. In my research also, I saw that uh, one of the people that teaches at the Clown College, I forget exactly his title, was mentioning that the clown makeup is supposed to represent his happy emotions. Mm-hmm. It was interesting that his emotions were distorted. Yes. One thing that he cited over and over again when interviewed about his time as a clown was that it allowed him to regress to childhood. So you get that kind of Michael Jackson Neverland thing where he never had a childhood of his own, which I think he probably did. So he was able to use that mask to act as someone else. Like yes, absolutely. His time as a clown and the tricks he would do came into play in a really disturbing way later on. Now, after he's, you know, kind of gotten away with another sexual assault, didn't go back to prison, slipped through there. He had several near misses with the police. He raped a 19-year-old boy and tortured him, like, just kept dunking his head underwater, just terrible, terrible stuff to this guy. Donnelly, his name, goes to the police, and he says to the police, this man did this to me. And then Gacy goes in and tells the police that Donnelly was a consensual sex slave, and they buy it. Because he was 18. And at that time, homosexuality was very frowned upon, so I think that they thought that it had something to do with, you know, the fact that it was two men. Like, they were more willing to believe that there was some real dark perversion going on there, right? Right, the sodomy. was back in sense. There was another guy named Rignall who survived an assault where he was picked up from a Greyhound station, chloroformed and raped and left on the side of the road. He went to police but couldn't identify Gacy, and so he got away with it that time. And then later on, Pice, his last known victim, who was 15 at the time of his disappearance, his parents believed that Gacy was involved, and they called police more than 100 times asking them to look into Gacy. 
before anything ever happened. So what did the police do? I mean, I guess eventually they looked into Gacy, but it took a lot of prodding. During the time that he was under surveillance, he would take him out to dinner and buy him breakfast and sit and talk with him and hang out with the police officers that were surveilling him. He's a very charming guy. He was at one breakfast when he was sitting around with the police officers that were surveilling him. He was talking about his time as Pogo the Clown. And he says to the officer, you know clowns, they can get away with murder. He always played the role of the good guy. Okay, so one of the other things that he did was he was the head of the Polish Constitution Day Parade. And through that, he met Rosalind Carter, who is the wife of former President Jimmy Carter. Former President Jimmy Carter. Former President Jimmy Carter. And he was photographed with her. So there's a photo that exists of Pogo the Clown. No, John Wayne Gacy dressed up standing next to Rosalind Carter. But the best part of that story to me is that he's wearing a Secret Service pin that one of the Secret Servicemen gave him. Because he was just such a great guy. So he's once again able to use his charisma. Yes. To kind of get in with really powerful people. Right. And he started a business, a construction business called PDE Construction, uh, when he moved back after his incarceration in Iowa. And at the time of his arrest... In 1979, it was pulling in about $200,000 a year. So, by now, you have to be asking, what did he do? Like, I know that he was, like, yeah, okay, rape is not all right, and that we've kind of covered that he did that and kind of tortured people a little. But what is it about this guy that puts him in the category of real-life boogeyman? That's a long answer. In 1972, he killed a man named Timothy McCoy, his first known victim. He stabbed him. Repeatedly, and then proceeded to bury him in the crawl space under his home. He repeated this process 25 times. Between the years of 1976 and 1978, he killed 28 men. 28 men. 28 men. Were these mostly boys? Were they? What age were they? They were usually around 18 or 19. There were some outliers. There were some that were as young as 14, and some that were as old as 30. The older ones were generally prostitutes or, you know, they're the ones that remain unidentified. People on the fringe of society. Yes, but the boys were all usually employees of PDE construction or boys he picked up coming home from trips at the Greyhound station offering to give them a ride. But people were looking for them. And all of them were raped and all of them were strangled with the exception of the first victim who was presumably a crime of passion. He said Timothy McCoy was fixing him breakfast. He said that he walked in and found the table set for two and a slab of uncut bacon and eggs out on the counter after he killed him. He walked into the bedroom holding the knife that he planned to use to slice the bacon. And when he saw the knife, something inside of him snapped. And so that was his first murder. With the exception of McCoy, all the other men were strangled. And that brings me back to the disturbing clown connection. When talking about his crimes, would refer to the method that he used to bind the victims as the handcuff trick. He had a two-by-four that he'd bored holes in the ends of, and he would put their arms through the board and handcuff them. In that posture, he would commence to torture and sexually assault them. And he called that the handcuff trick. And then he also had a another trick, the rope trick. And that was how he would strangle his victims. He would tie a rope or some sort of ligature around their throat tightly and leave it there and watch them struggle for a couple of hours as they died. So I think it says something that he called them tricks. Yes, absolutely. It definitely ties into that playing the child in the clown motif. I find it really disturbing that one of the darkest aspects of the murders or his crimes directly relates to that idea of trickery and mischief. It applies to that idea that he was regressing and able to connect, probably like how he felt when he was dressed in the clown. Yes, he said it was the ultimate freedom, the ultimate thrill. But the idea that between 76 and 78 he killed 28 people or more, he says he doesn't remember. It's just staggering to me. I mean, the pace that he had to move at. It was just incredible and disgusting. And he hired other men that lived with him periodically that worked for his company 
to dig trenches under his house. It was very specific about where they had to dig. And they both claim, both of the men that he hired to do this, claimed that they had no idea the bodies were there. But the police eventually found him after the disappearance of Robert Peist. Strangely enough, Peist's body was never found. He is attributed to Gacy. He was one of the murders that he was charged with. But his parents were looking for him. And they kept insisting that people look into it. And so they search his home and they find like clothes that don't fit him and high school rings and handcuffs and all of this kind of weird stuff. And they're like, that's weird. We're going to put him under surveillance. And that's the time that he's like taking the officers out to eat. And he would play tricks on them. Again, tricks. Like um, if he knew they were behind him in traffic, he also knew they weren't going to bring him in for a minor offense. So he would drive crazy and get and like lose his tail. Like that was one of the things he liked to do. But eventually they brought in dogs and the dogs would act like they'd found a body, but when they didn't find bodies in the house, they didn't, I guess, think the crawl space was logical. He also, concrete pouring was one of his specialties at PDE, so he would pour concrete over some of the bodies. So it took him a while to find them, but eventually there was a warrant obtained, and they went in and pulled up floorboards and got in the crawl space and looked and found 26 bodies under his house. They found an additional five bodies in the river. So John Wayne Gacy admitted to these murders? He did. He confessed. He was brought into custody and pretty much immediately began confessing. But he claimed that they were all prostitutes or vagrants. So what happened? Did he get convicted? He was convicted. He was put on death row. He remained on death row for 14 years, and then he died by lethal injection. For his final meal, he requested KFC, of which he was the manager back in Iowa, back in that time, but he was so happy. But also, while on death row, he did some oil paintings of himself as Pogo that sold for up to $9,500, all for charity. They benefit the victims of crimes. I think it's interesting. There are people that collect mm-hmm. memorabilia related to serial killers, and things like that, and his paintings are some of the top sellers, right? Absolutely. Um, they were actually, several of them were commissioned by an art dealer out of Las Vegas while he was on death row. And while he was in prison, they were going toward his legal defense fund. After his death, they were, when they were auctioned off and things like that, that's what they, the proceeds would go toward. He also opened up a hotline where he was paid like $10 a minute to talk to people uh, during his time on death row. You have to wonder who is calling that line. It was not. I, wouldn't, I don't want to talk to him. He's terrible. Interestingly, in 1994, 25 of his paintings were burned at a public bonfire attended by the victims' families as well as other people. Uh, attendance is around 300. And there's the classic you know, album cover for Acid Bath. This is Metal Band. I guess you can call it Metal. Uh, for when a kite string pops, which uses Gacy's artwork of himself as part of the clown and just trying to shock people, I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, it is shocking. It's shocking that this man did this and then did oil paintings while awaiting a death sentence to be carried out. I mean, it is. I guess how metal is that? So with this, I mean, should I be worried about killer clowns coming to stalk me in the night as statues? Uh, well... You probably don't have anything to fear with clown statues, as creepy as they are. But maybe look out for Pogo? But this is just a story. Yeah, it's just a story. 